If you're looking for proven ways to take your fundraising results to the next level, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast, hosted by Tammy Zonker. Tammy has trained and led thousands of nonprofit organizations to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars and is also recognized as one of America's top 20 fundraising experts. This is the podcast where Tammy equips and empowers amazing fundraising pros like you to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now, let's hear from Tammy. Today we're recording from the Nonprofit Storytelling Conference in sunny San Diego, California. And with me is one of my dearest friends in the whole world, Jen Love. She is co-founder and partner at Agents of Good, along with John Lepp and their great team. Agents of Good is a creative agency focused on nonprofit direct response, legacy giving, stewardship campaigns, case for support. If it's emotional and creative, pretty good chance they do it. So here's how Jen describes herself on the Agents of Good website. Jen is a storyteller, and not in a poetic sense. In a fumbling, arm-waving, half-sentence speaking, let's get to the heart of it and the feelings sense. Quoting Ernest Hemingway, right? <laughs> she writes, write drunk, edit sober, even if you're only drunk on emotions, inhaling an attitude of gratitude and exhaling donor love. You can see why I love Jen so much. Her humility, her big-heartedness, and willingness to be vulnerable. She is the real deal. Jen, welcome to the show. Oh, Tammy, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really thrilled. Yeah, we're thrilled that you're here. Just a little inside baseball. Jen and I reunited in the hallway just a few minutes ago after several, you know, several years. Too many yeah, years. Pre-pandemic, pre-pandemic right? 2019. The, the first in-person hug, and I'm like... Still in tears. My heart is still pitter-pattering, for sure. Yes. So amazing. The feelings are real. Feelings (laughs) are facts. Feelings are facts. Mm, That sounds Mm. like a hashtag. I actually have that embroidered on a pillow in my home (laughs) because I have one of my aunts who died too young used to say that from the time I was a kid. Mm. She would say, feelings are facts. Love is a verb. And so when she died, my mother-in-law embroidered me two pillows, one that says feelings are facts and one that says love is a verb. Hmm. And those are, you know, when you embroider on a pillow, you live it. Absolutely. (laughs) You had no choice. It's in your DNA. Let's start by talking about one of the talks that you're giving here at the Storytelling Conference. Mm -hmm. Start by explaining what a story constellation is and how it relates to fundraising. So I fell in love with this idea about story constellations and story clusters, because as you know, and the work that I love to do is help organizations realize that there are many voices in the chorus. Organizations are made of wonderful, caring, loving, compassionate human beings. And together they make up the story of a charity. And so too often charities fall on the like, oh, the only voice that people ever hear from is our executive director or our board chair. But when you think about stories as constellations, then you can say, okay, there's a central star and then there's other figures that orbit, you know? So if the central star is a patient in a hospital, what about the parents? What about the nurses and doctors? What about the researchers? What about the donors? What about the neighbors? So This idea of sort of clustering or clumping voices together to tell a cohesive story, I think is a really powerful tool. And the other thing about constellations is that, like any constellation in the sky, each star has its own role, but together it develops its own meaning and symbolism. And often that's about justice and healing and belonging. So stories are bigger than one star. And when you think of them as a constellation, it can liberate you in terms of like, well, who are the voices that need to tell the story? Who's the right voice for this? And then it just kind of allows you to open yourself up to other ideas in the storytelling universe. That's pretty powerful. It is pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. Give us an example of how you brought that to life for a particular charity. The origin story for this for me was that I did a bunch of work this year in hospice which I had actually hadn't worked, like I'd worked alongside hospice before, but I'd never really worked for hospice organizations. And so they presented me with this challenge of like, hey, Jen, can you help us 
how do you gather stories and how do you know when it's the right time to approach someone for a story? Mm. Because in hospice, people are grieving. Something has happened that has made your life has or your family has come to the situation. You, you didn't choose to be here. You probably right. would rather not be. So how do you authentically and delicately and respectfully approach people about stories? So it was in the hospice environment that I first came upon this, realizing that the central star in a hospice story is often the person who is dying or has already gone. And so how can you honor that person's story with whatever you have that's left or whatever they can communicate, but allow other people around them to share and celebrate who they are, what they mean, why they're important. And then mm -hmm. once I thought about that, I was like, so when you're in a hospice situation, it, of course, there's the patient or the person, their loved ones, but then there's also the social workers and the volunteers and the custodians and the landowners. And like, it just it became so obvious to me that when you really think about unpacking the stars of your story, there's so much richness there. So that's where it came from. But then once I saw that, like it's like seeing through time, right? Once I saw that, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, mind blown. I can do this for hospitals. We can do this for women's shelters. We can do this for environmental organizations. And so the kind of constellation that I constantly refer to is the Pleiades, which is also known as the Seven Sisters. It's the like, if you look up in the sky at a certain time of night, you'll see it. It's a cluster of seven stars. And so I use this sort of seven star formula or format to say, who are the voices that you're not hearing from in your stories and how can you bring them to the front? So that was where that came from. And I've now really discovered and unpacked that for lots of organizations, the way you find different stars in the orbit changes and like the creativity behind it is just really fascinating. It's big. It's big. It's and infinite. It's super. Uh it's like the universe, Tam. Of course it is. Mm -hmm. Of course it is that you would like see that and bring that to life for organizations here and for our listeners. I mean, it's really powerful. Mm -hmm. And just building on that example, I think too, because there's the hospice care and then there's the grief support for those left behind. You're right. It's true. And this is when the metaphor even expands because you can kind of jump through space and time, right? Like one of the things that we do often in our campaigns is we'll tell a story. And as an example, we have this organization that we work with that sends kids with cancer to camp. And so, you know, the star of the story is the kid who went to camp and around him was his mom and volunteers at the camp and others. But then we were also able to tell the story as he was experiencing it. So the first appeal goes out saying, like, Noah's ready for camp. Will you help him with his camp adventures? And then two months later, when the campaign is finished, there's a stewardship piece that goes out from Noah, like, hey, I had a great time at camp. Thank you so much. It was amazing. And then you can kind of, like, move these stories along with the donors as part of the journey, right? So it's not like, oh, I did that year-end appeal and now it's over. Right. You can kind of continue to keep these voices buoyant because people want to continue to hear how the story unfolds. Yeah, absolutely. So it's there's a lot of richness there. And or people can take this in so many different directions. And there's no wrong way to do it because it really is infinite. Like there's an infinite number of possibilities. And yeah, I just I've really fallen in love with it. And it just it really fills me up and makes me even more excited to tell stories and help organizations figure out who's the voice? What are they saying? How can I make this better? Like, that's what we live for, right? It is what we live for. Yeah. And you are especially gifted at it, for mm -hmm. sure. I know that you also talk about the role of curiosity mm -hmm. and conversation. Unpack that a bit for us. I think that curiosity is when you realize, and the, the, like the, continuing with the Constellation theme, what it really comes down to is that we're a part of our donor's story. Like, when a donor loves you, so much that they give to you monthly, they make a major gift, they leave you in their will, like you're in their orbit, like your organization is part of who they are. Yeah. Wasn't it Mark Phillips who said, they are not your donor, you you're are their, their charity. charity. Yes, queen. And so that thinking really just, it, it really comes to life when you realize that, aren't you curious about that? 
Like, aren't you curious about that person? Like, no matter what they gave or who they gave to or when, like, what inspired you to do that? I'm endlessly curious about what motivates people and what inspires them. And so when a donation lands on your desk, the first question shouldn't be like, oh, how do I record this in my database? The first question should be like, what's going on with you? Like, I'm curious about who you are and what you want and what you need and the impact that you want to have on the world. And when you start to open yourself up to those conversations, like it's the most enriching thing we could ever do. I also think about this all the time in terms of talking to donors and meeting them where they are. So, you know, the late, great, gone far too soon, Simone Joyeux used to say there's no such thing as a major donor or a minor donor. Like, would you ever sit across from someone and tell them that they're a minor donor? Of course. Would you ever say to Simone, who'd given to Planned Parenthood for 30 years monthly, like, oh, you're a monthly donor, but I guess like you're considered a minor donor. Like, no, you wouldn't. So being curious about what people's stories are is such untapped potential in our sector and in our world. Because I think if we were able to talk to all donors at every level about what motivates them, we would constantly be learning and growing. And I think that curiosity, like, it's a muscle. Like, you have to use it. And if you don't, then it stops working. And if you remain curious, then I think there's always a kind of, you know, tell me more about that. Unpack that for me. What else is going on here? Like, these are questions that we don't ask each other often enough. Yes. Or if we are that major gift officer and we have a portfolio of supporters, typically at a certain cash right. threshold, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which is a whole nother Structurally, conversation. That needs to happen, but yes. Yes. And, but not as we both agree, not to the exclusion of monthly donors and this yeah. whole major minor conversation. Mm-hmm. But when we have those conversations, I've seen it all too often where it's a checkbox. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It doesn't get recorded. Mm-hmm. We don't then engage them from that story, from those mm-hmm. values. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, well, now we know why they give. Check. Done. Moving on to the next one. And yes. And if you actually sat and, and thought about and connected with that donor about, especially when we're talking about long term donors, like what's changed in that you've been giving to us for 20 years. What have you seen that's different? What are you curious or encouraged by? What makes you angry? The questions that we ask our donors are these sort of like, flaccid, you know, kind of boring, you know, like, oh, I guess it's time for your pledge renewal. How can I recognize your gift today? And the donors are like, well, you can do whatever the hell you want. I just want to give because this organization really means a lot to me. Yeah. Why? Why? Like, unpack that. Like, How did you first start giving to us? Why did it matter then? What's changed? And because, as you know, like, a lot of the work that I do is in social justice, environment. And so people who started giving to environmental charities 20 years ago, they give today for very different reasons, right? And, yes. and those reasons are more intense and more tangible and more you know, urgent, more urgent. And We're living through an extinction event. And yeah. people want to talk about that. And even if as organizations were scared to talk about it, our donors are talking about it in their own lives. Like, why would we not be curious about yes. that and just ask? Yes. I mean, now that I'm a Nana, I'm worried about the future that my grandkids are going to inherit. Yep. And so you're right. Their why it changes. Gets, it it changes. It gets deeper. There's more nuance to it. Yeah. And we really owe it to them to hear that. It's our responsibility. And it's also our, like, it's our joyful privilege. Like, when you actually are able to talk to people about, they see their lives and the story of themselves through us. Like, how can we not care about that most? Yes. How can we not wonder? Well, what else is changing for you? And what are the other organizations that you support? Like, what else is going on with you? These are the questions that we ask each other all the time when we are friends and we love each other. Why do we have this fear of being curious about the people who are more than just a number in our database? And the notes in our database don't nearly capture the depth of their interest and what they are compelled to give to. Yes. And what's really interesting is I think that these conversations when they happen, Mm -hmm. whether they happen well or perfunctory. Not so well, yeah. You know, they are, again, reserved for a certain threshold of giving. Yeah. And so I think that it's interesting through digital surveys, Mm -hmm. through small groups, like bring together monthly donors, 
have these conversations in small groups. You know, this is how we scale. Yeah. And certainly as artificial intelligence becomes more and more of a tool, we can look at certain behaviors and understand even more from an AI perspective what these individuals give to. And it creates the space to say. Well, and that's where AI meets EI. Like, yes, meeting the artificial intelligence tools with the emotional intelligence of humans, it just that opens up all of our possibilities. Like it just becomes, again, expansive, infinite ways in which you could take this. And I really appreciate the other thing you were asking about was conversations. I try not to think about donor interviews because interviews to me are for journalists. And that's a different, like there's being fact-checked and it's like, a, it's on a different level, but a conversation you can have with anyone. And why would you not be interested in having a conversation with someone who has cared about you for most of their life. Yes. And we refer to our donors mm -hmm. as partners, right? But do we really treat them like partners? Heck no. Yeah. And that's when the, the hollow language really shows up, right? We talk about, will you partner with us on this cause? As opposed to, I know this matters to you. And one of the fascinating things that I've been playing with too, which is connected to all these ideas we're talking about is, acknowledging their identity instead of acknowledging their actions. Yeah. So thank you for your kindness and compassion is different than thank you for your kind and compassionate gift. Yes. So that the gift is about the transaction, but the identity is about me. And like, these are the things that I am going to continue to care about, whether this organization is helping me do it or not. And in the work that we've been doing this last year, we had this one case, and I was just talking about this actually with Adam Clevenger and, you know, with this client who's doing a bunch of surveys for legacy work, which is very lucrative and there's lots of fascinating insights coming towards us. But there's this major donor who's been on their file for many years, but will never pick up the major gift officer's call. They send texts, they send emails, they try to call them. This dude does not black hole the void. He's just as like it's going into a black hole. Yeah. He filled out every single question on this survey, long format answers. Like this man spent a huge amount of time responding to the survey and nobody had ever tried that before. And so now, so not only was it like, wow, we have this amazing insights and he's indicated that he is a uh, legacy prospect. He's indicated that he has mid-level and major gift potential. And they now, the major gift officers actually have something to talk to him about because they're not just being like, hey, Phil, it's me again. Just checking in, wanting to know if you can meet me for a coffee or if I can take you to lunch and show you about the impact. Now they can say, hey, I just saw your responses to this. Tell me more about that. Tell yeah. me more about why did you start giving us to us in the first place? I saw in your survey you said this. So like there's so much rich conversation starters that are just waiting for us to find the right way to open them up. Yeah, because now we have insights into his identity. Not into his giving, but yes. into who he is. Who he is and who he aspires to be. Yeah. And the fact that he would bear himself so clearly in this like very clinical survey when this lovely major gift officer is trying to get a hold of him, yeah. just shows those are not the droids you're looking for. Like you're barking up the wrong tree. Yeah. He's not going to go to lunch with you. But if you give him a way to express himself like this, he'll tell you anything. Yeah. Recently on the podcast, we had Brian Saber, mm. who talked about his new book, Fundraising for Introverts. Mm -hmm. He made the point in the book and in our conversation that if you rely on one medium to reach out, whether it's I'm going to leave voicemails mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or I'm going to text or I'm just going to meet my donors, I'm going to meet my donors at our events. You're probably missing out on half your donors because statistically half the population is an introvert and they're yep. not going to go they're to an event. Go. Nope. They don't want to go to coffee, mm -mm. but they're happy to share their insights maybe in a medium where they feel more comfortable. And they have agency. They're in control. Yes. I, one of the things I've loved, and I love how you said that, because I've discovered in some of the legacy work that we're doing, the best prospects for legacy gifts are people who have loved you and cared about you for a long time. And they are, make monthly gifts. They make ongoing gifts. 
one of the ones that surprised me the most was the people that RSVP know to your events. They care enough to let you they, know. I'm not coming. Yeah. As opposed to just being like, yeah, I'm ignoring it. Like, I don't care. I'm not going. But someone who's like, thank you for the invitation. I can't make it. They're showing you there's a giant green light behind them. Like, please talk to me. Please tell me things. Please keep me involved. But don't invite me to your events because yeah. I don't want to go. Either I'm too old or I can't travel that far or I just would rather be at home with my dogs. And I'm my, uncomfortable. I'm not going. Yeah. But when the RSVP know they're telling you, I do want to hear about this. I just can't be there. So be more curious about that. One of the clients that we're working with now, the environmental organization, they invite people to do, you know, come on this walk in the woods while the trilliums are blooming. Yes. And they get lots of people who do it and people come in with their walkers and people come in whatever way they can. But some people say, oh, I really wish I could be there, but I can't. This bright fundraiser sends them a note afterwards. Hey, I know you couldn't be here. You were with us in spirit. Here's a few of the photos that we took. Thanks so much for being part of this. You were with us there even though you weren't. Yeah. And like it takes no time. It takes no effort. And yet the introvert feels seen and heard in a comfortable way that doesn't make them feel pressured. Yes, they thought of me. They thought of me. They thought of me. And that person reaching out to say, no, I can't make it. That's such an important gesture. Yeah. They're, they're still telling you something. It's still an insight. So powerful. Right? Yes. So let's just talk about having those authentic conversations. Mm-hmm. Why? Being curious. Takes some courage and it takes oh, yeah. even vulnerability on the side of the fundraiser, the person who is walking into a conversation where you don't know where it's going to go. You won't know exactly what to say at moments. And it can be a little intimidating, a little scary. You walk into those situations all the time. What are your best tips or coaching or recommendations for how fundraising practitioners who feel a little vulnerable, can move forward, can make it happen. To me, this is the magical thread that stitches our whole universe together, is that we feel very vulnerable as fundraisers reaching out to someone to say, hey, can I talk to you about your story with our organization? Can you tell me why this matters to you? There's a couple of things that always underwrite that feeling for me. One is people sharing their stories is a unique way that only they can help. So I almost always start every conversation I have with someone by saying, I know that you talking about your experience getting help from the food bank is challenging, and I'm here to walk with you on this journey, but this is a unique way that only you can give. Anybody can get their name on the side of the new museum if they have enough money, but only you can make a compelling case for why this matters to you, why you care about it. And that inspires more people to give. So you're furthering our mission by sharing your story. And we can't do this without you. We can do a lot of things, but we can't tell really impactful stories without your courage and your generosity of spirit. So I always open conversations with letting the person I'm talking to know that, like, I'm not here to check a box and get a story and make my year-end fundraising appeal better. I'm here to help you understand that this is a unique way in which you're giving to this organization. Yeah. And not everybody can give this way. The other thing, the vulnerability part, like vicarious trauma is real. Compassion fatigue is real. Spending your days talking to people about the most challenging times in their lives is hard. And you need to have your own boundaries. I have some very specific boundaries. As you know, I'm a boundary queen. Boundaries are love. Yes. And... I will only have conversations at the end of the day, so I don't have anything else afterwards. I would never end a conversation with a donor or with a beneficiary be like, oh, great chat, Tammy, but I have a finance meeting in two minutes and I really got to run. Yeah. Like, that's not okay. Not honoring. Not honoring their experience, not honoring their story, not honoring them. So you have to be very open in terms of time and you have to be very clear on your own boundaries. I've had boundaries crossed by people who I've interviewed for stories. In fact, I was sharing this morning that there's a woman who I interviewed. She was a grateful patient from a hospital and I had this wonderful conversation with her and she found my Instagram and she messages me regularly. And 
I respond to her when I can, but I also know that I'm not that place for you. Yeah. So I think you have to be really clear in your own vulnerability about like, here's what I'm prepared to give and here's what I'm prepared to help. And here's where I can't do this anymore or I can't continue. So you just have to go into these conversations knowing that you're vulnerable, that the other person is vulnerable and just try to see yourself and see them and honor that experience. But there's no easy way to read that energy. As fundraisers, I think one of the things like the soft skill set that we have is that we are really good at being able to read someone's energy and read their intuition and sort of guide them in the best way. But it, it comes at a cost and, and you have to do it thoughtfully and intentionally. And you need really good friends and people around you who you can say like, hey, this was really hard and I'm struggling. Can you help me? I need to know how I can, how, how can I get past this? Yeah. And it's interesting because I feel like from a fundraising perspective, there's fourth quarter mm -hmm. where we're writing, race writing a race to the end. And there's mm -hmm. so many stories and so many conversations that are being had. And even in the spring, there are so many events and so many mm -hmm. scripts. And we are dealing with, in many cases, very heavy topics mm -hmm. at a concentrated time. Yeah. And so I will tell you, just last week, there's the underlying emotion of having written a lot of stories, interviewed or having conversations with a lot of people who have shared such incredible things and it's sticky. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of it. Mm -hmm. But for those of us who, again, we have a big concentration of it, it's sticky. Yeah. And then I'm watching the news and there's, there's what's happening in the God, there's what's happening in Ukraine, there's what's happening at the U.S. government level. and Women's rights, LGBTQ all, rights. Human rights, things. indigenous rights, all the things. The world is on fire. Yeah. And so I just burst into tears yeah. on a Saturday night. Mm -hmm. And my family's like, are you okay? What just happened? Yeah. And I'm like, nothing just happened and everything just happened. Yes. Yeah. It's everything and nothing all at the same time. And I think we just, we really need to, especially in the charitable sector, we really need to see each other in those moments. Yeah. Because it can be overwhelming. It yes. can be completely overwhelming, but it can also be... Like, but wait a minute, we are doing something about this. Like, yeah. as soon as you feel that, like, wave of overwhelm, you also feel the tide go back out again. Like, okay, yes, another wave is coming, but I'm doing something. Yeah. I'm shoring things up I'm in my own I'm part of way. the solution. I'm part of the solution. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And again, when you talk about the constellation, I'm just hearing you, mm -hmm. all of mm -hmm. you, have the wisdom, it makes me also think about the program folks, yeah. the social workers, the teachers who... They don't have like the peaks and valleys like we do. It's, it's like all, all on. Valley. This is just like life, right? Yeah. This is just like life. Mm -hmm. And so when we tell different stories, when we bring different voices to bear, there's so much power in it. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be, you know, and we're having really important, critical conversations in the charitable sector about, you know, are we reducing people to the worst moments of their lives? to raise more money for our causes. And that is one way to look at some manipulative and, you know, in my opinion, unethical yes. fundraising. Yeah. But if you build a constellation around that, so like the story can be about someone who, you know, was experiencing homelessness or someone who it was food insecure or someone who was in an abusive relationship or someone who was, you know, fleeing a war-torn country but then if you add other voices around in that constellation, you can create a story that's not about I'm reducing this person to their most desperate hour and using that to raise money. You can also have the voice of a social worker who can say, I learned from this person. I'm inspired. This human being moves me. Volunteers, other donors who can write in their own stories and say, I'm so grateful and happy to hear your story and I really hope you're doing well and I'm just sending you all my love. Yeah. It doesn't have to be desperate and despairing. When you build a constellation around that story, you can empower it and shine a light in a way that makes people feel like they're part of something bigger. It's not just doom and gloom. Sometimes we do burst into tears on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings and Sunday afternoons and Monday mornings. But when you have a whole constellation of voices, no one feels alone. Yeah, no I love that. Alone. And I think, too... Like 
there are different moons in everyone's story. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. Dude, I'm telling you, this is contagious. This is totally (laughs) contagious. Right? There is that dark moment, like the worst moment. But one of the things I love about our work is that you see the evolution, like the courage, the determination. just pull yourself up by your fingernails. Yes. yes. And uh, that is an inspiration. Mm-hmm. You know, that mom that gets on the bus and takes three kids across town to receive treatment for the whatever trauma or whatever mm-hmm. mental health disorder or whatever is going on in their life. She's a rock star. She's yeah. a hero. She cares so deeply about those amazing children of hers. And she wants them to become the amazing people they that were born to be. To be. Yes. And that's part of the beauty of the story is, yes, we talk about the dark chapter, but we talk about what's possible because of this constellation of stars, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, the donor, the volunteer, the the social social worker, worker, the board member, Mm -hmm. like all the stars. Uh, I know. I love it. I know. It's, I'm, I I have completely, like, I've actually... I'm looking at astrophysics charts now. Like, I, I understand more about the solar system than I ever have because I just find it so fascinating. You're seeing through space and time. Yeah. You know? Literally. 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 Amazing. I'm going to go back to a part of the question. How can we equip and empower fundraisers, our listeners, people here at the Nonprofit Storytelling Conference, to pull together that constellation of stars to tell the full story? Right. There are some like I think about our program folks, our social workers, fiercely protective of the participants in the programs and understandably so. We have some people, board members, perhaps just picking that one. It's Mm -hmm. not a stereotype of Mm -hmm. any board member, but sometimes folks are apprehensive to be vulnerable and to share their stories. How do we create a space where there's enough trust Mm -hmm. with one another? in this constellation Mm -hmm. to tell the most authentic and compelling story. It starts with you as the fundraiser, being able to say to your program people and to your board chair, your executive director. And I I do want to honor what you were saying about, I feel like sometimes we do kick around program people like, oh, very private and there, you know, there's privacy considerations and there's, you know, confidentiality. And I think it's their obligation to be that dogmatic. Yes. But it's also our obligation as fundraisers and storytellers to say, this can be healing for them too. Yeah. And one of the examples that I was sharing this morning is, you know, again, from the hospice work I've been doing, is people who, like, they come into their own power and they come into their own agency when they are able to tell their stories. And so I think we really do need to step into this reality that Fundraising is not just funding our cause. It's part of what we're doing. Like allowing people to tell their story, step into their truth, speak truth to power, that is a gift to them. And who are we to say, oh, you're not ready for this? Like it's not your time yet. I I don't think you're ready. Yeah. One of the things about these program conversations is that when you're dealing with someone who's coming out of a hospice or a women's shelter or food insecure or experiencing homelessness, if you ask them like, hey, can I sit and talk to you for a bit about the impact of our organization and how it's helped you? If they're not ready, they'll say no. And that's not the hardest thing they had to do that day. Amen. Right? Right. Like saying to someone who's recently bereaved, is it time for you to talk to me about this yet? And they're like, no, I'm not ready yet. That was not the hardest thing they had to do that day. Yeah. So we get in our own way by assuming that like, oh, maybe they'll feel obligated. Maybe they'll feel pressured. Power dynamic. Power dynamic. They're going to tell that was not the hardest thing they had to deal with. Yeah. And if you think that you asking them whether they're ready to talk to you now is the hardest thing they had to deal with, I think you need to shake your head. Like you need a reality check because their lives and their story is bigger than that. And every single form of research that we've done in the charitable sector has shown that when you tell stories, it moves people, makes people give. The people, the beneficiaries at the end of that story, they do not feel abused. They do not feel manipulated. They do not feel taken advantage of. They feel proud to have been able to help this charity in a way that no one else can. And who are we to stand in their way? 
again, understanding your obligation as a social worker, your responsibility as a protector or shepherd of these people, and two things can be true at once. That is true. And they I, may be more than ready. They may be. And I believe after decades of working in children's mental health, behavioral health, and telling those stories and working with social workers and psychologists and psychiatrists, that when they understand that we truly also want what's best for the people participating in the programs, that we care just as much, that we aren't just about the money. We're about telling powerful stories that, that empower people who've come through so much. Even if they're not at 100% of where they want to be, they're on their way. They've made incremental progress. And telling their story, to your point, can be an additional part of their healing journey. Yes. They and, have agency. They have choice. Yeah. Yeah. And so when those wonderful program and clinical folks understand that we care just as much as they do, I think that we begin to collaborate. That becomes like common ground for finding the people who are absolutely ready, you know, that they can say yes with good, yeah. with knowing themselves and speaking, to your point, speaking their truth. And even when they say no, it's almost always a, not, not now, like yeah, not yet. Not yet. Like, I, I'll do this. I'll do this on my own time. But thank you for asking. Yeah. But no, not now. And then in my experience, that comes back at some point. Yeah. Hey, I would like to talk about this. And not only because I know that it's a way that I'm helping the mission, but also because, like, I'm ready. I, I need to speak my own truth. Yeah. And having social workers and fundraisers and people around the organization all there together to receive this and then be able to turn it back to them to say, we had this wonderful conversation and it was enriching and delightful for me and challenging for me. But like, here's what we've done with your story. What do you think? Yeah. Is it true? Is it authentic? Is this authentic? Is this accurate? Did we miss anything? Did, yep. And then 99.9% .9 of the time people say, I don't even remember saying this stuff, but you made me sound so good. You made me sound so great. and Because you are so great. Well, and I just say, you you said this. Like, I can show you the notes. You, yeah. you did say this. You just were speaking from your heart, and you might not have realized how poignant and powerful it was. And then when people see their own stories and they are proud to share them. It's a beautiful thing. What else are we doing here? Yeah. If not to help people step into their own stories. Yeah. And I, I like to talk about telling your story from the scar, not the wound. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. And they know where they are in their healing journey. It's tough. It is. Jen. Dude. I oh. And how fortunate are we to be the amplifier, the megaphone for those stories? Yeah. When, when done well, when told well, when told in the channels, the program participant agreed for their story to be told in. Yeah. Right? Consent is not a form. Nope. <laughs> consent is ongoing and consistent yes so good raising teenagers that's what we're talking about consent all day long <laughs> that is true <laughs> so what would you say to individuals or organizations who might be skeptical mm. about the effectiveness of what this approach that we're talking about mm. or like that works for other organizations mm -hmm. it doesn't work for us what do you think what would you say to them well i mean my my first response to that would be do you really think that your executive director or board chair, delightful as they are, do you really think that they're the most important voice for everything? Like when we step out of our lives as fundraisers or as social workers or whatever role we're playing in the charitable sector, when we step out of that and think about the charities that we support, like the charities that mean the most to me, I couldn't tell you the name of the executive director necessarily. I can tell you about their programs. I can tell you about how they make me feel. I can tell you about why I give and why I've given for so long, but what's the alternative, I guess, would be my response to that, would be, do you really want your stories to always come across in a clinical way, in a third-person narrative from the same probably old white guy? <laughs> oh, I mean, let's go, Because I don't think that's true. And I think that any organization who's looking at their fundraising and saying, you know, we need more of is executives telling people what good we're doing and like that's patronizing that's condescending that doesn't i'm not a part of that story yeah i'm not a part of this chorus of voices this constellation you're broadcasting to me and i'm not a part of this yeah and i feel at least one person removed yeah 
from the impact. The impact. Absolutely. And executive directors and board chairs can do a really good job of, you know, here's what I've witnessed. Here's the impact that I've seen. Here's why this matters. Yes. Here's what we're doing about it. Here's the, this is when we get to the good fundraising offer. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. We need your help to fix it. Board chairs and ADs are crucial because beneficiaries and social workers can't talk about that. That would yeah. be disingenuous and artificial. Yes. So you need more than one voice. You just don't need it all to come from the same person, yeah. especially when, in a lot of cases, EDs and board chairs have a very polished, professional persona that it's important to them to maintain, and they give stupid edits, like, I don't start sentences with and, or I don't use contractions. Okay, good story. I don't care. <laughs> this is a conversation, and people yes. want to hear from someone who's talking to them, not talking at them. Yes. Yes. So, so that good. Would be, that's, so my feedback would be... What's the alternative? Is the alternative one third person narrator who's broadcasting the stories of your charity forever? Yeah. Good luck with that. They are one voice with a specific yes. and very distinct point of view, and which extremely is crucial. Important. Yes. But they're not the only voice. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So finally, for those of us attending your session, mm. we're going to get more and more of these juicy nuggets. Mm. But for our listeners... What would be the main takeaway that you want them to have, to carry forward, to implement in their work related to their storytelling and their fundraising? So two things. The first being that storytelling and fundraising is both a means to an end and it's a joyful experience. You will love your work much more if you actually care about these stories that you're gathering and curating. If you're like downloading the program blurbs about like why the new mammography machine at the hospital is going to be great, that's a tiny part of a much bigger story. And if you look at the whole picture, you'll enjoy your job more, you'll have better fundraising success, and you'll just open up your own awareness and curiosity about the world in which you work. And so it's not only more effective, it's not only more lucrative, it's also more joyful for you as a person. Like when you step into the belief that, again, fundraising is not just funding the care, it's part of the care, these stories are enriching. And you will talk to your family at the dinner table in the evening about the conversations that you've had with people. And you will think about them for ages afterwards because they stick with you and they become a part of your story too. And I think we're all walking through this world wanting to have our stories be heard. And those of us who are in the privileged position to be able to amplify those voices and move those programs forward, what else are we doing here? Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Jen, thank you. Thank you, Tim. Oh. All right. So if you've enjoyed today's conversation, and the insight, the brilliance that Jen has shared and want to learn more, check out the links and the resources that we've included in the show notes. Now, Jen, at the end of each episode, we'd like to ask a few rapid fire, insightful questions to get. I give. am ready. All right. She's ready. I've never known you not to be ready. But and I'm also, yes, I'm, I am ready. I'm also like I'm rapid fire, but I'm also like a thinker. Yes. So I can't promise not to babble on. You'll have to cut me off. Well, for our avid listeners, <laughs> you'll know this is not an uncommon phenomenon. <laughs> no pressure. Imposter syndrome gone. <laughs> yes, set that aside. So first of all, mm. what's the best fundraising advice you've ever received? Okay, this one I can do succinctly because it was advice I got from my dad, who is a fundraiser as well. I'm a weird second generation fundraiser. And he said to me, money follows value. People will give to the things that they value. People will support the things that they value. The example that he gives is don't talk about grass seed, talk about someone's lawn. So you're not asking someone to buy your grass seed because it's the best. You're asking someone to envision their perfect version of their lawn or garden. Yeah, their grandchildren playing on that lawn. Money follows value. If mm. they value it, they'll give. Beautiful. Love it. What book do you recommend to our audience and why? I got to go with Creative Deviations, written by my better business half, John Lepp. <laughs> I think John's book really does, like, it's a journey through all forms of good direct response, and it's brilliantly 
laid out and it's a it's just a beautiful book and as an avid reader having a book that you really want to keep looking at is joyful yes so gotta go with creative deviations uh, i have a copy and i will tell you as a fundraiser it is a fundraiser's coffee table book it, but the one that's full of post-its and dog-eared corners and coffee stains <laughs> yes ma'am it's great what are the three most important traits a successful fundraiser must possess so curiosity Yes. Because we've just talked about that. I think we all need to, even if we're not naturally empathic, I think we need to channel into every version of the stories that we're sharing is like, how would I feel if I was in that situation? So I would say curiosity, I would say empathy, and I would say creativity. Mm -hmm. Like, find a way to just look at it sideways. How could I treat this slightly differently? Like, how can I take the story and make it slightly more creative or interesting? Yeah. I, I know of appeals where you've written from the perspective of a bird. Yeah. Birds, trucks. Birds, trucks, planes, yeah. trains, automobiles. <laughs> if you haven't, it's coming up. <laughs> yeah. And really compelling. Yeah, because a bird can say something that an executive director can't. A yeah. bird can be like, wow, what a terrible journey I just had flying from Costa Rica. But that was a rough road. An executive director could not say that. Yeah, right. this so is true. You just open up your opportunities. What's your favorite fundraising tool or application? It's so lame, but I love the like built-in tools in Microsoft Word, the like reading ease, flesh Kincaid. <laughs> like it's, we've been doing it since Microsoft Word had a little paperclip, but it's such a good little, it's like a tiny little trick. And there's, there's other apps that, you know, there's a Hemingway app and others, you can yes. make your writing more succinct or more whatever. But I think there are already those built-in tools that like, if you can do nothing else, yeah. Get your grade level down, get your reading ease down, and make it conversational. I have a follow-on question because mm. I'm curious. Mm. Have you used ChatGBT huh. to say, like, write this appeal in this kind of voice? Yes. You have. Beth, Beth Ann Locke and I yes. did a session a couple of weeks ago where we used ChatGPT. We did a, like, head-to-head -head contest. And, I mean, it, it's pretty good. Yeah. And it gives you a really good starting point. So anybody who's like, again, AI and EI should go hand in hand. Yes. And if you're using AI, look at it with an emotionally intelligent lens. But it can do a lot. It can get you a long way. Yeah. yeah. Way past a starting point. Love it. What's your favorite conference and why? As we sit here at the Nonprofit Storytelling I mean, Conference. <laughs> you can say this one and yeah. your second favorite, if you like. So Nonprofit Storytelling Conference is definitely my favorite. I really do appreciate and respect the way that the organizers pull together curated list of speakers and a curated list of topics. And they really do work with us every step of the way to make sure our sessions are interesting and unique and that they're not the same as anybody else's. So I think Nonprofit Storytelling Conference is, is very high on my list. And then after that, I have to say that I've really found a love for the kind of virtual and the podcast type. Like, I think we can all get professional development in different ways now. Yes. And that being able to interact with conference and conference material on our own time from our own homes has totally changed the professional development game, and I'm here for it. Yeah. And for organizations who just won't invest or yeah. budget for professional development, podcasts, podcasts, white papers, all these free webinars that are available. Yep. Like find the ones, like your authorities, the that people. That suit you. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And, and in some ways, the virtual environments, you know, fundraising everywhere. Yes. You're able to be, I want to know about this in this area and this time and like it can be delivered right to you you can curate and customize your own conference if you look at podcasts and if you look at virtual fundraising the same way yeah love it all right last official question knowing what you know now about fundraising what advice would you give your younger self just getting started in the profession so i've said this before i've never said this before to you but i would find my tammy zonker sooner oh i mean you got to find your people. Fundraising can be a lonely, scary thing. And when you're, you know, a sole fundraiser or you're an executive director and you're responsible for all the budgets and you feel the weight of this mission on your shoulders and, you know, it infects your dreams and you think about it all the time, you need your people. You need yeah. people to be able to say, I'm struggling. I can't get past this. Or 
I just nailed this and I need to share this moment with yeah, you. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. Like fundraising is a lonely hunter. And I think we, we need our people and we need to find our people fast and we need to hold on to them. And I'm beyond blessed and grateful that I found you and you found me and yes. that there's this genuine sense of, I know that at any time I can reach out and I will get compassion and love and challenge. And I think everybody needs to find their people. And the sooner you can do that, the better. Love it. Find your zonks. And I love you. Find <laughs> your zonks. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us, well, I love Jen. You too, Tim. You're amazing. If you want to learn more about Jen, Agent of Good, and their amazing work, we've included links in the show notes, as well as links to the other resources that we've talked about today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast. Keep on transforming your fundraising so you can transform the world. That was long over. The Intentional Fundraiser Podcast is a Fundraising Transformed original. It's hosted by me, Tammy Zonker, founder and president of Fundraising Transformed, where we help equip and empower fundraisers, nonprofit leaders, and board members to transform their fundraising so they can transform the world. Visit fundraisingtransform.com slash podcast to subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my newsletter to get fundraising lessons, tools, and helpful resources delivered straight to your inbox each month. If you want my help with taking your fundraising to the next level, become a member of my Fundraising Transformers community as a growth member and join me live each month where I'll teach you the same strategies I use to lead, train, and coach thousands of nonprofits, social service organizations, healthcare foundations, private schools, colleges, and universities to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars including a single gift of $27.1 million. As a member, you can participate in my Ask Me Anything sessions every month and get answers to your burning questions. Chat with other growth members inside our private and safe online community about what you're working on, struggling with, and share lessons learned. And get instant access to my growing library of on-demand self-paced training classes. New content is added every single month. Learn more about becoming a member at fundraisingtransform.com slash growth. Talk soon.